We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, guys, are you ready for rapid fire? It's already time. Let's it do is. It. Oh my gosh, I've missed rapid fire. We haven't had any rapid fire no. since you were slumming it in Kansas. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Fill in the blank. Steve Angeli's Sun Bowl performance means blank. Steve Angeli's Sun Bowl performance means that there is surprisingly better to come. If you liked what you saw with Steve Angeli. And the Sun Bowl, I think that you should feel even more excited about Riley Leonard and Mike Denbrock and how this offense is going to look, <coughs> excuse me, under those two. Because I think you're going to see some similarities that you saw from the Sun Bowl, right? Combining a lot of the having a balance in the run and pass game. But I think you're going to find a quarterback that can do just a little bit more. And the, the, the play that comes to mind is, you know, when Angeli kind of pulled the ball and ran down the middle of the field, hurdled the guy, ended up fumbling. But that's what that's what Riley Leonard's going to look like next year in this Notre Dame offense. So again, I think it is it is um, kind of telling of what's to come. Okay. So the blank for me would be that uh, so his performance in the, in the Sun Bowl means that Notre Dame is guaranteed to have a competent backup next year. Whether that's Steve Angeli, whether that's Kenny Minchie, whether that's uh, C.J. Carr, whoever ends up getting that number two spot they're going to be a very competent backup because now I know that 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 Steve Angeli can be a backup. I know this for sure. I know that he can step in and, and play it at a fairly high level. And if he gets beat out, that means whoever beats him out is also that guy. So I feel very good about the backup position. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's, that's a good point uh, to me. I, to me, I think it just means he made the most of the opportunity that he was getting, yeah. you know, he had an opportunity and you, you hear about it. All the time, you know, guys, everyone gets some opportunity. Sometimes it only comes in practice and guys aren't able to take it any farther. Steve Angeli got the benefit of going out there in a game, in a bowl game, and some other guys had similar opportunities. They got their first starting opportunities or, or you know, real extended playing opportunities. And Jelly made the most of it. And, you know, he has the chance to be a good college quarterback. But, you know, in terms of a starting quarterback, it's not going to be at Notre Dame next year because, as Vince said, you know, it means that Notre Dame's got a competent backup. That's what it's going to be. You know, they, they you know, they can say there's going to be a 
quarterback competition this offseason or or whatever. Okay, barring something completely unforeseen, Riley Leonard is the starting quarterback at the end of August when Notre Dame goes to College Station. There will 100% be a quarterback competition for the number two spot. (laughs) Right. That's the only quarterback competition. That's the true competition. That's That's the only competition that's going to be there, folks. And if that upsets you, then so be it. Um, Right. That's what it is. That's right. But Steve Angeli showed, you know, why Brian Kelly and Tommy Reese gave him a scholarship to come to Notre Dame. Sure. Well, and- that's, you know, and that's what those announcers were saying the whole time is you you don't get a scholarship to play quarterback at Notre Dame if you can't play quarterback, right? right. Like, there has to be some intangible skills or some quarterback skills in that body for you to be able to get a scholarship I mean, to come play quarterback at the University of Notre Dame. Quite yep. frankly... I think that he played better in the Sun Bowl than any quarterback who played in 2022 for Notre Dame. Do you yeah. agree with that? Yeah, probably. And I would say, you know, he's playing better. I watched a lot of bowl games this season. A lot of teams had backup quarterbacks in there. Steve Angeli is up there, in my opinion, for backup quarterbacks who played, you know, really well. And I know that doesn't go a long way, but if you made a list of top performing backup quarterbacks in this bowl season that had to play because of opt-outs, injuries, whatever it might be, he's up there of of a guy who had a really good performance. And, you know, I think that Joe said it earlier. I I think that Gino Gadouli, who obviously was the interim offensive coordinator and he has been the quarterback's coach, he developed Steve Angeli. He played to his strengths. They did some good things with Steve Angeli. They didn't ask him to, you know, to play outside of his – skill set he made good decisions he was 15 of 19 i mean it was a it was a good game it helped that he had a good running game and had pretty good protection in front of him most of the day as well you know jeff wants to know why the overreaction to angeli's play because that's what people do <laughs> jeff people overreact good or bad to yep. everything well it's like that's I mean, that's what we're fine. here for we're here we're here to overreact day in and day out they and they can, and that's going to give us. Plenty yeah, I'm not to talk saying about. it's a bad thing. Yeah. I'm just saying that's what people do. Oh my gosh! And as as the game was wearing on, and it was getting boring, and it was like, oh well, we're going to have this to talk about now. <laughs> I mean, it was just you knew it was coming. You knew it was coming because yeah. again, the most popular player on a football team is quarterback number two, the backup number two quarterback. quarterback. That's right. That's correct. QB two, baby. QB two. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
you need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Salty wants to know, I'm not sure, how do you spell Vince's last name? In the show description, it says Diderio, which is... That's correct. How it's spelled, just it like is. it is spelled on the it, screen, right? Right. D e d a r i o. Yep. Double D. So unless I'm missing something, unless you misspelled the the spelling that you saw, it made me look twice at like the way that I apparently had it spelled. I know. My... And I had to stare at it as well. I'm like, <laughs> did I spell it I wrong? I don't think I spelled it wrong. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that's but yeah, I mean, you know, again, he made the most of his he did performance, and and that's nothing but a good thing. I think that that as this program goes forward, you're gonna. I think we're gonna continue to see. A lot higher caliber quarterback play. Yes. Year in and year out. Absolutely. And look, Steve can win you a bunch of games. It's no doubt about it in my mind. No doubt about it. I don't feel that he can win you a championship. And that's what Notre Dame needs behind center is a quarterback that can win you a championship. I still right. think that's Steve. Yeah. I if, think it's the combination of an offensive coordinator and a quarterback that can win you the Ohio States, the Clemsons, those sort of a playoff game. I think Notre Dame has more than enough, you know, to to win to be a nine and three, ten and two team. But what they've missed is that combination to put them right over the top offensively to be in the conversation. It goes back, and we can we can we'll push a couple of these topics a little bit lower, and we can kind of segue into the uh, college football playoff semifinals from from last night. The two teams with the lower recruiting rankings, both won hmm. yesterday. Michigan and uh, and Washington, lower overall recruiting rankings than the, you know, it's Alabama obviously year in and year out. But sure. Now, I'm still not as sold on J.J. McCarthy as Jim Harbaugh is sold on J.J. Oh, my God. McCarthy, he said he's the best quarterback ever. <laughs> I like, know. All right, he dude. missed a lot of passes. But if you look, at, if you look more specifically at Washington, you know, you know, what that's a little bit, you know, different because DeBoer and and Penix go back together at at, at Indiana. Right. So and he he's wasn't got part experience, of that. But yeah, but that's recruiting class. When you look at Michael Penix, that's right. He's not part of Washington's recruiting right. rankings. And when you look at Michael Penix, he was the best of the four quarterbacks oh. who played. Not even close. Night. And then you throw in a Joe Moore mm. award-winning offensive line for Washington, and they've got some experience themselves with what they – but, you know, like 
you can see why Washington, and they might have, you know, like there's there's an argument that they've got the best receiver in the country, and that it's not actually even Mars Marvin Harrison Jr. I still don't know how to say his last name, independent of uh, you know, like actually saying it. <laughs> but my point well, is, yeah, my point is, quarterback play goes a long way. You know, we we we've, we've said that before, like. Notre Dame with Brian Kelly in the in the times that they made the college football playoff. Like if you had a Michael Penix instead of Ian Book in those situations, oh, different a lot story. different result potentially. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Especially go back to the Clemson playoff game, right? I mean, they lost. They basically lost the game when Love went out defensively, right? And and then. You know, Trevor Lawrence just was was picking on the replacement. Like, that was where that game turned. The other part of that game that apparently people don't remember is that Ian Book couldn't throw the ball down the field. Couldn't, wouldn't, shouldn't, whatever the case may be. Right. And so Clemson just packed the box and said, yeah, 12, you got to beat us. And he couldn't do it. If you had a dynamic quarterback on that team, Notre Dame's a championship-level team. There's just no doubt about well, that's, it. Well, that's the common denominator to me in all four of the playoff teams is you have J.J. McCarthy, Quentin Ewers, or Quinn Ewers, Michael Penix, um, and Jalen Melrose. All those guys are mobile in some capacity, right? They're able to move the pocket or extend the pocket when plays break down to some regard. And you look at Penix and Melrose specifically, they have that speed to, to, to really run the ball, right? And so – I guess what I'm getting at is Riley Leonard is the closest thing that Notre Dame has had to that kind of quarterback in a good amount of time. A guy who can extend plays sure. when they break down and still has a good, strong arm to be able to, to throw, you know, on the rollout. And that's that's the thing is, is Washington's offense was just an air raid, right? Like Penix threw for 450 yards. He was dropping dimes all night, just beautiful over-the-shoulder throws. Michigan was more of a chess match type of game where they were doing a lot of pre-stamp motion, doing a lot of getting Alabama's defense to, to move its eyes around a little bit and more of kind of the power run game. I see Notre Dame is in the middle of those kind of somewhere, right? The ability to throw the ball, but also have the, the power run game as well. And so, again, I think that Riley Leonard is that common denominator when you look at how all four of those offenses were run yesterday. Well, you know, and I think that, you know, and, and the question I was going to ask and we can kind of, you know, get into that after watching the playoff semifinals, how we feel about where Notre Dame is, you know, kind of how they stack up going into the offseason. I think kind of going back, kind of sticking with the quarterback thought and seeing what Gino Gadulli did do with Steve Angeli. If there was a question about Gino Gadulli, I think as a quarterback coach specifically this season, I think it was answered with Steve Angeli's performance in the Sun Bowl, and now, again, you add Mike Denbrock and, you know, where Notre Dame needs to be in terms of quarterback play going forward, I think that they sit in a really good spot now, Going, you know, as, as you try to project this thing forward and what they potentially are going to look like next year. Oh, for sure. I, I think the development right now, like that was always a big question mark with the last regime was the development of these guys, right? I mean, that was that was always, especially a quarterback and some other positions. Like that, it was the development. Well, you know, offensive line, we saw a bunch of backups in the 23 season play pretty well in the Sun Bowl. And that includes the second team who just came in and mauled guys, right? And so I feel good there. And then at the quarterback position, I think Gino, you know, he had it, it proved that look, we saw what Steve Angeli was in fall practice, Sean. We saw it. 
Okay. Right. That was not the same Steve Angeli that we saw in the Sun Bowl. No. So there was clear development there. Clear development. And some of that is attributed to, to Steve and the hard work he's put in. But that's also attributed to Gino. You can't not attribute it to the coach. Correct. Right. There was clear development that took place there. And I we've heard about clear development that has taken place with Kenny Minchie from beginning to end. And so I it, it's going to be interesting to see how that continues to move forward obviously and on top of that i don't think gino did a great job quote unquote developing sam hartman so how's that going to look with riley leonard because you know it's a whole teaching old dog new tricks kind of a thing and i'm not saying sam wasn't open to it but there was clearly a disconnect because we could see gino on the sidelines getting real pissed off at sam hartman at times and something wasn't connecting there especially second half of the season yeah and you do wonder when a guy has been around for six years right like if there are just some things it's like you know even if it's not sort of intentional on his part it's like you you know you said it you can't teach an old dog new tricks it's like you know this is (laughs) this is what i know this is where my skill level is and they're just, you know, there's a reason that Sam Hartman was still available after five years and still sure. a guy who was even willing to stick around for a sixth year in college. You know, there, there, there's a reason that he was available at that point. Maybe he had just kind of reached his, his ceiling and you just weren't going to get anything else out of Sam Hartman. Maybe it's just as simple as that. I think that there are at least, you know, there's at least some truth to that. Whereas a guy like Riley Leonard, I mean, he's only been around for three seasons and he's only played one full season out of those three. And now you, you know, you do have a guy like a You do have a guy like Denbrock coming in who again has like, he's got a pretty good track record himself, you know, with the quarterbacks that he's, even though he's not the the quarterbacks coach, but yeah, that's right. right. That's right. right. He's not coming from a completely different gimmicky offense that Sam Hartman was coming from. So there, there's less of a learning curve. I would say from that aspect. And you're right. He's only got three years under his belt as opposed to five. It's right. A big difference. It's a there big are, difference. There are, there are fewer, maybe, you know, <laughs> habits slash tendencies right. to break, I think, right. than, than, you know, because, because again, Sam Hartman, as we all know, was in a completely different kind of offense that sure. was part of the draw that brought him to Notre Dame to play in a more pro style offense and not that slow mesh. And Riley Leonard is also more physically gifted than Sam Hartman. Yeah, he just is. He's got a stronger arm. He can run the ball. Like he's just he's more physically gifted, and that is Bigger why. Guy. Yeah. Before Riley Leonard got injured this past season, he was being projected as an NFL quarterback to to leave after three years. Like that was an, that was a thing. That was that was you know right. people were talking about him being one of the top quarterbacks to come out for the twenty four draft. Then he got hurt, and it was like, well, we don't know. You know what I mean? And so I mean, he, he was had- talked about as the potential number three quarterback. In the draft before he got hurt. No one ever talked about Sam Hartman being the number three quarterback in the draft. Right. So there's a there there. It's just it's a different conversation. That's that's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. Anything to add to any of that, Jess? Not really. And I think the only the only <laughs> thing I would add is there's always that, you know, as as a as a player and and kind of just a younger individual. I think there's that always going to be that inkling of, well, I know better type of situation that I think occurred with Sam Hartman is like you said, he's been around for a while. 
He's brought into a new system. I think the system that he was expecting changed a little bit when the offensive coordinators changed. You're bringing in everyone that's kind of new. Sam knows what he knows. And, I, again, there's always going to be on the player side of I know a little bit better at times, especially when right. things aren't going 100% sure. right. When things are going 100% right, it's the best marriage in the world. But when things go a little bit wrong, there's going to be, well, I know that I'm doing this and that's the, the, the right way. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I completely know what you mean, Jess, because as you were saying that, you know, Vince and I have both coached. You know, we haven't coached at, at Notre Dame level, but we both coached and we've both been around guys enough who are going to, you know, sit there and tell you they might not say it, but their actions speak oh, yeah. louder than words that they know more than you. And they're going to do things the way they've been taught by whoever they've been taught by. And, and we're not I, talking four and five star recruits who have been told that they're amazing <laughs> their whole lives. Yes. We're, we're talking about kids in South Bend <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that aren't going to be playing for Notre Dame anytime soon. Right. Okay, So I, it's probably even more prevalent up where Notre Dame is at. So, yeah. So back to the college football playoffs last night. The Tommy Reese bashing. I mean, oh, he was man, he was trending kid. number three on Twitter last night after the uh, Alabama loss to Michigan. Is the is the Tommy Reese bashing play calling? I guess specifically, is it fair or foul? I'll start with this one, Vince. I think it's completely foul. Um, I think that you first of all you have to look at the totality of the situation. You know, Milrow was benched. Buckner was brought in. No one knew who was going to be the quarterback going forward for Bama. They end up turning things around. They, they, it, I mean, they beat Georgia. They're in the, you know, the final four. I think that they outdid expectations, especially for a team that didn't know who its quarterback was going to be and how the offense was going to look. But the other side of this is get into the game. I, I don't blame Tommy Reese early on because I don't think that he anticipated Michigan was just going to, you know, free range blitz him every time and that his center was going to have horrible, oh, you know, man. inconsistent snaps yeah. and all of that stuff. So that throws off a lot of timing and rhythm. First of all, I'd say my only critique – I have two critiques of Tommy Reese in this game. One, he didn't get into the run game soon enough. I yeah. texted you that early in the game. I said they need to stop. They yeah. need to get in the run game. And if, and if Michigan wants to blitz, you need to create RPO-type schemes where Milrose keeping the ball so it burns a blitzing defender. The only other thing is – after two timeouts, I don't understand how that straight quarterback draw is your play. You got to do something to move the pocket out and give Milrow the option of at least throwing. There was another running. crappy snap on that play, though. I mean, it's like it was, yeah. Of that and game. yeah, again, it wasn't. An, it was another bad snap. And so, supposedly, supposedly, it was it was supposed to be an RPO, but the bad snap, you know, threw everything off and, and it rushed Milrow into doing what he, you know, whether or not that actually happened, I don't know. But and so, yeah, yeah. I, 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 my only critiques are Tommy should have got into the run game probably a little bit sooner. And on the last play, I would have liked for the pocket to be moved out a little bit more so Milrow can either create a running lane for himself or have the option to try to dump it down to someone. That's those are my only that. two critiques of the game. Yeah. I, it's foul. It's it's foul because he did get you there. And he got you there by winning some pretty big games. Okay. So it is foul. Now, I the I've seen so many different descriptions of what people think that last play was. 
they're talking about how the running back that was in motion was in play, right. how he should have run to the left a little I bit. I thought it was just a straight guard. draw no matter what. Well, and, and the pulling guard came around and he could have gone behind. Hit. Like I, I've seen a lot of different thoughts, but the bottom line is it was a bad snap and he didn't have a choice. He just had to pick it up and go. Yeah. And so I just... I mean, the way the snap was, the quarterback's got to look down and behind right. him. He's he totally loses sight of yeah. what's coming at him, and you know, that, and that's the right side of the line man. got blown up, and and they know. they were moving the ball just fine on numerous occasions, and it got totally destroyed by those yes. snaps, and, snaps, penalties. Yeah. yeah, I mean they were moving the ball yeah. when the right. snaps got really bad. They got remember they got to the Michigan forty-seven, and they ended yeah. up back like what inside their own thirty or something like that with 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 the snaps it was i mean just, all they had to do is score a touchdown on that field goal drive and the game would have been over i said it at the time i was like they score a touchdown here it is game over because it's two possessions no chance and the snaps got them the snaps see, got them yeah and like you know the and i agree foul i agree with what jesse was saying you know like because we were we were texting about that it's like you get into the run game a little bit you know do a little and that's alabama's last offensive possession of regulation when it was throw 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 like that i really i did feel like he could have probably hit a draw or two in that because again it's like it's it's all they're trying to throw michigan especially on the third down play there were like no linebackers to be seen they're playing totally soft they're playing back if you hit a draw you probably pop off you know 10 yards at least and you know then maybe you've got a decision do you go for it again but you know that that was that was like probably my only real critique of Tommy Reese is like he didn't, you know, there were there were times it's like, why aren't you running more? You know, you could you could take a little pressure off Milrow if you were just running the ball a little bit more because they were so right. effective when they did it. But yes. I, I again I, I go back to the snaps. I, I blame the snaps much more than I blame Tommy Reese oh, yeah. for anything that happened. 100%. Last night. And then you know, the other side, like Alabama's defense looked like they had Michigan just going nowhere. Like they had Michigan reeling until that last Michigan drive that they right. were put, you know, able to put together to force the overtime. And all look, of a sudden, they came to life and figured something out. Look, you you can say what you want about JJ McCarthy. He didn't play a very good game until that last drive. I I thought so too, Vince. He missed guys yes. passes that were very completable passes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And but but he found a way to win on that last drive. I give him credit for that. Obviously. And then, of course, Blake Corm and two freaking run plays, you know, scores in the overtime. But, you know, they made plays when they had to make the plays. But I just don't – I don't see the J.J. McCarthy love. I, I've watched a lot of Michigan games this year, and I just don't see it. I'm sorry. I don't I don't see it. And it's not because of the helmet that he wears and the colors that he wears. I just don't see it. And I'm still okay that Notre Dame passed on J.J. McCarthy. I'm still okay with that. Yeah. I am. I'm sorry. I concur. Mini segue. I thought that the ending of the the second game was not handled appropriately. I don't understand. I know you're trying to preserve clock, but to me, you have to score the touchdown and then try to get the stop and go for the field goal and not other way around. Because had Texas got that touchdown, they don't need a touchdown to to for that game to get close. They just need a field goal and they, they probably win win the game. So I don't. I don't know. I don't, and I, I just didn't feel like Sarkeesian handled the clock and the management towards there at the end. Well, he needed to punch that that first score in for a touchdown. 
I would agree with that. I think that that's kind of some, you know, not not necessarily that you know that's something that's haunted him, but you know, at the same time, he hasn't been in a lot of those big situations in his life. DeBoer, you know, DeBoer started out where Jesse Styers, you know, played his played his. He was an NI NAI head coach, you know, like was he really? a little bit like BK, you know, like cutting his teeth at the lower levels, going through some of those game experiences, you know. So like, even though this is the first time he's really been in. In that situation, I feel like he's handled it. Or, you know, he did handle it better last night than Steve Sarkeesian handled it. I agree. Sorry. That was just a random segue I wanted to get in because I know we're switching out of this. Nope. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, DK, those games started too late on a work <laughs> night, DK says. The first game kicked off at 5.10 Eastern time. The second semifinal started after 9 o'clock and ended well after midnight. So on a scale of one to 10, how much do you like those uh, nighttime New Year's Day kickoffs? I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. I don't know why they're not flip-flopped. Why are you playing the Rose Bowl in the earlier time slot than the other game? Because it's the, that second game is going to end later well, than probably what that Rose Bowl game started. I'll tell you why the Rose Bowl. It's because of the stupid, they want the sunset. Like, right. uh, did you did you appreciate the sunset on TV when you were watching that game? Or I couldn't wait focused on the actual down. game. I wanted it to go down. <sighs> Give me a break with the sunset thing and the rose. That's why. Like, it's New Year's Day. You could have kicked the ReliaQuest Bowl back to Saturday or last Friday or whatever and started the Sugar Bowl at, like, 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock or whatever. You know, if you still yes. needed to have the stupid sunset as part of the deal. Right. It's New Year's Day. People... People are sitting home on New Year's Day because it's a holiday. They're hungover. They're hanging out on their couch. I laid on my couch all day. That's right. That's, That's what, what you I do did. on New Year's Day. It, you know, like starting a game, one of the most one of the two most important games of the entire season at nine o'clock New Year's night when everybody's got to be at work the next day just makes zero sense at yeah, all. I, I went to bed at like one o'clock because I finished that whole game and I was tired today. It made today. More miserable. I could not get into the working spirit, especially after staying up to one o'clock watching that game. Oh, I fell asleep. I went to bed. Like I did not see. I was going to text game. you guys, but I was like, I know both of these bozos are sleeping. I I made it to <laughs> halftime, and then I went out. Like I I couldn't do it. I wanted you faded to. to darkness. I tried, but it was probably I, the nap I took during the second half of Iowa and Tennessee that saved me later throughout the evening. See, that's fair. I. So obviously I was I was riveted into the LSU Wisconsin game. I so I watched that whole game. Mm-hmm. When that one ended, there really wasn't a lot of good football on until the Rose Bowl started at five o'clock. So there was like an hour to an hour yes. and a half, yes. like you know, <laughs> window time. there. But that's where I had to like pretend like I cared about my family during that, <laughs> that window because they were all home. You know, I mean, I didn't really have a choice on that one. So. Yeah, I, it, the fact that that game started after 9 o'clock was absolutely ridiculous. The first game needs to start at 1 o'clock, and then yes. they can go back-to-back. Back. And yeah. that's, that would be fine. That would be totally fine. Right. You don't have to have – there's no law that says the ReliaQuest Bowl needs to be on New Year's Day. That that that, that does not exist. That's exactly not right. That's exactly right. They got right. too cute trying to spread out what was the usual New Year's Six Bowl schedule throughout – the weekend and we're trying to fill in all these other games around them. And it just, it not that it backfired, but 
Again, we live in the worst time zone when it comes to sports. No, but it's but it's New Year's Day. It's literally right. a national holiday. Everybody's that's, home. That's known for watching football. Like yeah. New Year's Day has always been the big college football day, and there's no reason to be kicking off a game at nine o'clock. Honestly, put it on like you said. Put it on at one. Put the first one on at one. Put the second one on at, at five. five. So then you've got a little bit more space in between. I- you know what? I hate to say it, but I will. You could start another game at ten o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Not the not the CFP game, but like one of these other bowl games that don't mean a yeah. Hill of Beans they started anyway. that Fenway Bowl at ten o'clock yeah. last week. Started at ten o'clock, and yeah. then we'll watch three games in a row, and then you can put a piece of crap bowl game on at nine o'clock. That if people really want to stay up and watch football, they can. Yes. But the rest of us <laughs> can go to bed. All right. Yeah. Terrible. By the way. New Year's Six, well, I don't know how your picks came out, Vince. The Michigan game was the only New Year's Six prediction that I missed. I, I was like wishing uh, that I had a Michigan screwed me out of wishing I had parlay. a parlay going right up until that happened. Well, but yeah. I picked the exact score of uh the Washington, Texas game. Oh, as well. did you really? So I wish I had some money on it. Something. I got the Michigan <laughs> game wrong. I think all of us picked Alabama to win. Yeah, I had Alabama, Washington, and both overs in a parlay, and I only missed on the Michigan, and it was for some good coin. So I was sad. Yeah, I I had some good coin going, and they all, they all relied on an Alabama win. Everything I had relied on an Alabama win, and uh, I would have made some good money too. They all they had to do was win the game. It's really all had to happen. (laughs) Thanks a lot. That's it. That's it. Fill in the blank. Xavier Watts returning to Notre Dame for another season means blank. It means that this defense is going to continue to take that next step, right? I think that the combination of how they perform this year and then getting players back like Howard Cross, Xavier Watts, etc., it's only going to take them to that next level next season and i thought that this season they were already a national championship type defense and i think next year they could they could almost be put in the category of potentially the top defense in the country i will go more specific and i will say that the return of xavier watts puts notre dame in in the conversation for best secondary in the country in 2024 and that really all just depends on who they end up plugging in at safety but you're going to have two high high level corners you're gonna have a high level uh nickel in mickey and you're gonna have xavier watts well jordan clark is coming in too so jordan clark is not gonna win that battle you don't think he will i will say it right now okay yes i will i will say it right now i think going out on out. Yeah. Put, we need to put sticky notes be careful, on the wall be careful all yeah, people, people do stuff with that stuff if that's fine don't come out right <laughs> my I rattled off all my wins and nobody cares about the ones you get right they only yeah, care about no the kidding. ones you missed vince don't you know that by now yeah seriously I, my opinion after watching some film of the transfer kid is that he's a depth piece that he's not a starter i think Jaden mickey's better okay so that's what i'll say so who are they going to put in the other safety position i don't think it matters I still think this could be the best secondary in college football. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have a hell of a defense. I mean, that's what it comes down to to me. Yeah. You're, I mean, you're right about the secondary. You know, they are they already had the best pass efficiency defense in the country. But now you've got big-time experience back at every level, plus you're plugging in all this young talent around those guys. You know, Jesse mentioned Howard Cross, and you got Riley Mills coming back, and you got R.J. Oban coming in from Duke, and you got – 
you know, Batello and all, you know, all these other guys. And then the, the secondary is going to be every bit, what you're talking about. It's going to be scary. Good next year to get him is. back is huge. And I just think it's going to be, it's going to be an elite championship caliber defense. Yes, next it is. Year. Offense has to be. follow suit. Offense has to follow suit. Fill in the blank. Notre Dame men's basketball knocking off Virginia over the weekend. Means blank for Micah Shrewsbury's first season. It means a ton. It does because this this is now he has his first signature win as a Notre Dame basketball coach. I Look, I've said all along that they were going to win some games in the ACC that they weren't supposed to win. Well, obviously this tops the list at the moment. They should not have won that game and they dominated it from start to finish. They had almost a 10-point lead from the get-go it was like nine to nothing before virginia even scored i believe and they just maintained it and then extended the lead they were up by 30 points at one point like it was i mean that was they just dominated um now they're i'm not saying they're gonna win the acc or even be in the top half but they're gonna be better than they were last year because of the way that they play defensively the way that you know he coaches them non-stop I, I love it. I love the way that he does his thing. Now, they seem to get some more talent on the team. They need to get a little bit deeper. They need, you know, get need some guys that make some shots. I know that sounds ridiculous when you're talking about a basketball team. But, you know, this is this is a huge step for this program. To me, this me this is the message, you know, the win over Virginia over the weekend means that the message has been received for Micah's first yeah. season at Notre Dame because what did he say? Like Vince said, they were going to have ups and downs. They were probably going to lose some games that they should win. And they're probably going to win some games that they, you know, ultimately weren't, you know, on paper, the better team. And I think that has what we, what we have seen so far, they lost by 20 points to Citadel. And what does Shrewsbury yeah. come out? He comes out and says, this is unacceptable. This Challenges is not how this effort. team yep. is going to play. We are going to play harder. We're going to change our effort. And look what happened since. I know they squeezed out uh, a four-point victory over Marist. Marist isn't a bad team. They were, uh, you know, that's only their third loss of the season. And then they doubled down on that and beat a very good Virginia yeah. team on top of that. And so I just think, to me, is that the message is heard. Whether it was at the beginning of the season, if it took a 20-point loss to the Citadel, Micah Shrewsbury message is heard and that they're going to play a specific type of way and that is going to win them some games like Virginia. Yes. And, you know, as Stymie says, not going to get easier. NC State and Duke coming up this week. And I, I don't think that this necessarily means, you know, like some magical corner is turned and now all of a sudden right. they're going to compete, you know, and be a contender in the ACC. But it means that they're signs of life. And it, it means that the program is pointing in the right direction. Because after, even after the loss to Citadel, I still felt like if Micah Shrewsbury could do the things that he was talking about, the things that you guys have already hit on, get the effort at least in the right direction. Get you know, get them playing the kind of defense that he knows that you know that he wants the foundation to be built on, and get them playing that consistently, game in and game out. That they had a chance maybe to pull off one of these kind of wins. I thought maybe it might happen later in the season than you know just a couple weeks after that twenty point loss to the Citadel. But you know, again, like it it, it means these guys have a pulse and it means they're paying attention. Yeah. It means they're bought in. It means yes. they're invested in this thing. There's still going to be some ups and downs, 
but I, I think that that he's got the tentacles where he needs them to be. Yeah. And again, these guys are are bought in, and and the good things you know are still to come for this program. So I think it's the first you know kind of really good sign of of I think what could be coming for these guys. Man, we've still got some more questions to go here. We might have to. We might have to opt out at some point. Fill in the blank. DJ Uyangalale transferring to Florida State is blank. Uh, it's great for Notre me. Dame. It's great for Notre Dame. Bring them on. Let's go. Because <clears throat> remember what happened the last time DJ Uyangalale was at Notre Dame Stadium. He got his butt handed to him on a silver platter. Yes. Now, the time before that, he had a great game and lost in overtime. I look. I think Notre Dame's got his number. So you good luck at Florida State, my boy. I love well, the chance. I love him coming to Notre Dame Stadium next year. Yeah, I, I think it presents an opportunity for Notre Dame to get a quality victory next season, right, over a Florida State team that is obviously hot. Um, they're going to have a quarterback coming in, but to Vince's point, I'm not worried about him. Uh, there's a reason why this is his third team in three seasons, right? That's the reason why these guys are bouncing around. Um, Notre Dame has already proven that they kind of know, you know, uh, how to shut down that kind of style of offense led by DJ. Um, and their defense is quite honestly better than it was when they played, you know, Clemson and, and when DJ was quarterback. I know he is probably better as a quarterback now because he was a little bit younger. But again, my main point is if he's if this if this is his third team in three seasons, there's a reason. I don't think you should be concerned that he is this overly elite quarterback. Yeah, he's chasing it. You know, that's that's why he's going to Florida State. And there was talk like, oh, he's deciding between going to Florida State and the NFL. It was like, is there really, you know, a, a <laughs> to be made there? It's like he's, he's going to Florida State, especially you know when they're going to lose both Rodemaker and Jordan Travis from last year. You know, Florida State was in need. And I mean, just just look at the the, the mess that they were left with. And, you know, I don't I don't think anyone here at Notre Dame or, or across the ACC is necessarily in, in fear or in awe of DJ Uyangalale. So, you know, we'll see. I, I, I think, you know, if anything, it definitely makes that November date at Notre Dame that much more intriguing, the fact that you've it got does. him yes. coming in for the third time this yeah, year. So I think we're all kind of looking forward to it. It'll be interesting to see how good Florida State is next year. Um, I know. I mean, they've got a good roster. There's no doubt about it. They got a chip on their shoulder. There's no doubt about that. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how good or and or bad they are, whatever, uh, next year. And, you know, what what is this game going to be, Notre Dame versus Florida State, when they come in in November? I mean, that's that could be a, a top – that could – I said that there was no – well, I said there was no way they were going to face a top five team on the road. They could face a top ten team at home. That's a possibility. Florida yeah. State could be that. I mean, that that's – I think that's well within the the realm of a possibility. And I mean, there. if they are, that's big for everybody. We yeah. you got a November matchup like that at Notre Dame yep. Stadium. You know that that's going to be one of the primetime games on It'll, NBC yep. next year. It'll be a night game. To begin with that's right, and you're going to be you know a month away from the college football playoff selections and all that stuff being announced. You know, maybe less than a month at that point from everything being announced. Most likely, they're both going to be in playoff contention and all that stuff. Yeah. So should be they a lot of fun. Their schedule is very doable next year mm -hmm. so as i'm looking at it right now their toughest game maybe florida 
Uh, obviously not talking about Notre Dame, but they, they face Florida, Clemson, Miami. Like, those are their biggest games. So, you know, I you know I, I kind of like where Notre Dame sits with that. They, it could be a top team from Florida State, whether they are in reality or not. But based on that schedule, they could be. You know what I mean? Does that make, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, so it could be I'll a give clash the, of top teams. I think what Vince is trying to say is it's a little pre-playoff playoff matchup. Could be. Yeah. It, it could be. Could be right around when those first rankings are coming out. Could be one of those games that determines if one of those two teams is going to get to host a first-round game as opposed to oh, you know, yeah. maybe go on the road or something like that. Yeah. No, definitely could. Yeah. So speaking of Florida State, there was a lot of moaning about the <laughs> no. bowl opt-outs, especially, you know, it got especially loud after that beatdown Florida State took at the hands of Georgia. So is there a solution to all yes. this? The, the bowl opt-outs? Jesse's got a solution. Wow, you have a solution? What is it? The solution is already this. in play. It's already happening. It's the expanded playoff. These games have more meaning. So instead of four teams that are going to definitely have every guy playing, now we have 12 teams who have definitely every guy playing. And so I think when you put more emphasis on what these games mean, it's going to lead to less players sitting out. Okay. So that solves, you know, like the Orange Bowls problem. That basically solves the, the New Year's Six. That's right. That's what it solves. So, yeah. So it it it, it takes the care rest of all of it, the big there's... bowls. But, but what about... What about all these, uh, you know, what about the Sun Bowl, for example? What there about the Reliable no Bowl? Anything that's not a playoff game, you know? That's, I think that you're just going to see mass exodus, basically, for, yeah. for all those and, and games when you, that aren't playoff games next year. Now that it's become normalized um, and there is the risk of getting hurt and harming, you know, what someone deems to be their future, whether or not that future is a little overinflated, right? Like, just like some egos get overinflated. Um I don't think that there's really any solution. And, you know, these people have talked about offering money and whatever. And I know it's not money, but these guys get tons of stuff for going to these bowl games. They get PlayStations. They get watches. PlayStations and watches. They yeah. get TVs. They get, keep them. they get apparel. <laughs> and I know money is different, but it's still the same thing. It's still monetary value, right? And so I just don't know if there's anything, unless we're talking about you know, putting a million on the table just for a guy to play. I don't know what's going to to really steer them the other way because that's that's what's steering the argument is the money that potentially could be made in the NFL, the, the career that could potentially be had in the NFL. But, but the problem is, as we've said before, like these opt-outs started with – Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette, who were both going to be, you know, in their draft, I believe it was 2017, they were going to be first-round picks, but they both had injuries during the season. So they're like, mm -hmm. why am I going to risk, especially as a running back, why am I going to risk more potential injury? I'm just going to stay out of this bowl. I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to be a first-round draft pick. And they both ended up being first-round draft picks. Like when you talk about the money and, you know, risk of injury and all that stuff, there's a big difference between a first round draft pick and even a third round draft pick. So this whole thing has just become such a status symbol for these guys, because look at Notre Dame's <laughs> roster. The, the, the only two guys who have a chance to be first round picks, you know, we know Joe Alt is going to be Audric Estime 
is at least potentially, you know, depending on what kind of workout, he could at least be, you know, like a high second round type guy, you know, just depending if somebody decides they really like him. Nobody else is in that conversation, but look at how many guys ended up opting out, you know? Yeah, I don't know how you curtail that, though. I know. That's like, do you do you like people have said player contracts and you know and like do, do you like do you make them if they if they sign an nil deal do you you know do you, do you make but you know, I don't but know that's the thing the schools do. the schools don't have control over those nil deals that's with other companies they're not going to be right. able they're not going to be able to do anything about that so I I don't think that's a solution number one number two moving the bowl games to the beginning of the season is not a solution that's that dumb i don't like that in any way shape or form um move the portal window i mean that's a possibility you know because then you won't have the opt-outs from the portal guys potentially but then as somebody said in the chat you can't move the portal window because of the academics piece of it right because these guys need to be guys have to get by the second semester if they decide what they want to do yeah and if they're starting second semester the second week of january then you need to have this all figured out um, so I, I just don't know how I, it's, it's, it's like the rest of college football. I don't know that there's an answer to it because it has gotten out of control and I don't think there's a way to bring it back in. I just don't. I know. I think the ups, you know, like it becomes a big issue because it's the orange bowl and because Florida state was undefeated and because they're playing, you know, so there was at least some profile on it, but they had all these opt-outs because of the fact that they got left out. Like in the Sun Bowl, for just to use that as an example, it it ended up kind of being a good thing because, you know, like it, like we were sure. talking about with Steve Angeli and some of these offensive linemen, it gave guys opportunities and it just, it, it turned into, instead of it being a bad thing because you had all these opt-outs, and Oregon State had them as well, and it was a lopsided game, but so many guys had different opportunities, it's, you know? that's It's largely the final exam for a lot of guys who, yeah. who maybe didn't get to play, you know, that weren't full-time starters, guy that, guys that got some time here or there, maybe some special teams. You know, they're on the traveling roster, but they got a bigger role. And it's kind of like you, like you were saying, the final exam. And you can see where these players have progressed throughout the season. And now they have a benchmark before heading into next season, right? And to me, it's like <laughs> I'm throwing a shot here. But, you know, a guy like Jordan Patello, I feel like this is his cycle, right? Like he gets an opportunity because of guys not playing. He shows a little bit of flash, and we're like, oh, Jordan Batello's going to be and the now guy. now we go into next year expecting something And from then him. he and, goes yeah. into the downward spiral of his cycle, and he comes back up a little bit, right? So there's, there's different cycles. A year from now, cycles. he'll be the one opting out. Right. There's different cycles for these players, but uh, to me, at, at least we get the opportunity to see how far some of these younger guys have come and, and give them a, a good assessment. Fair. Completely fair. Fill in the blank. The debut of the edible Pop-Tarts mascot <laughs> means blank for other bowl games with edible sponsors. I think that it has set the bar even higher. Did you see the Cheez-It, the the the, the live uh, Cheez-It that was just as big as the Pop-Tart? I feel like he was now the bowl games. Said, I'm not edible or something. <laughs> yeah, he didn't want to get eaten. I don't. I feel that. like these bowl games now, it's going to be a requirement that you have an edible 
you know, mascot running around to entertain the people. We need uh, a jar of mayo running around. We need oh, a <laughs> a lawnmower type situation. We need a Tony the Tiger running around with a big cereal bowl. I love it. I think it makes it more fun. It is setting the bar higher for these ridiculous mascots, and it just shows <laughs> that the bowl games mean even less because we're so. It's all marketing, baby. Mascots about that money and things of that nature. And I look, there's a lot of things that I would allow to be thrown on me after winning a bowl game. Mayo is not one of them. Uh, <laughs> the mayo is just disgusting. How about Harry Lyles Jr. taking some French fries and dipping it right in? And that was pretty like, funny, actually. Even more. <laughs> Wasn't but it Golick was Jr. who was dipping the Oreos in, in the Dukes a couple years ago yeah, yeah, when he was doing the game? It's just I, the Pop-Tarts thing was genius. Oh, that was. <laughs> they that they did. They broke the internet. I think man. I saw they got more than like $12 million in like, you know, like in oh, like yeah. eyeball, you know, generated, you know, value out they of that whole it. thing. And the sponsorship is apparently only a couple million. So they got like, <laughs> you know, well, more than fivefold what they paid for that thing. Yeah. And maybe, you know, probably even more out of that. Now, yeah. I think it's like, you know, okay, they 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 dump some frosted flakes on Marcus Freeman. You know, like they need they need like a uh, a big bowl. You know, like a, a huge cereal bowl with milk. And you and go dump it, jump in it. You got to dive in. To jump in. Yeah, that's right. You need to jump in the bowl of cereal at the end. Cannonball. And, you know, the Cheez Its. You know, there's so many things that you can do with the. They, I think they've all got to start raising their game now. And yeah. it's it's the pop tart, and I and I think that it's great because it, it is you know honestly it's one of the best treats I think that you can find in bowl season is, <laughs> is the pop tart. Even though I haven't eaten a pop tart in a long time, they are delicious. I love the cherry frosted pop tart myself. If I'm gonna pop mm. a pop tart, that's what I'm going after. Interesting. All right. All right. Yes. Tommy Guns wants to know: At one point, do we refer to the most recent season as last season? When does the upcoming season become this season for you? For me, it's post-championship. Like me, and I think when I, when I was talking about it before, like I still am referring to, you know, like 2022 as last season. Me too. So it's hard because we're still, you know, yes. so close the, to it. The answer to that question for me is spring ball. Once yeah, spring ball starts, that's it. like preseason for the following, for, you know, once spring ball 24 starts, that's the preparation for 24. Because the transfers are all well, most mostly the transfers are here. Mostly, you're going to get an idea of what the depth chart's going to start to look like. Like it's it's spring ball for me. I think that's a good point. That's a good point. That's probably when I'll start saying last season because it yeah. still still feels like this season, right? I mean, you're going to have Riley season, Leonard yeah. throwing balls to people. You're going to, you know, it's just you've turned the page at that point. You know, we got new rosters. We got the whole deal at that point. <laughs> Jesse Ryan wants you to tell us old guys what the best pop tart is. So there's two. One is brown cinnamon sugar. And I had it. I knew you would say that. And crap. the on. other one is hot fudge sundae for me. Hot fudge. Oh God! Isn't there is is there like an Oreo kind of pop tart that there that is. is a good? It's like there's like a chocolate with with icy white yes. on the outside. Yes, that's, that's the one I'm talking about. I've had that one as well. That is a good one. I will admit <laughs> it's cinnamon brown sugar, but without the frosting on the top that's too much <laughs> interesting apparently i did not pick the right one i want to know what ryan's favorite pop tart is now 
Pat wants to know how Bama became so ordinary slash borderline cruddy at some positions. Um, it's called the transfer portal. It yeah. has when equalized you, the playing field. <laughs> when you recruit all five stars, they can't all play. They leave and they go to other places and you lose your depth. And then you have to start hitting the portal and you're not going to get the guys that are as good as the guys that you had. And look, it's Alabama. You do, you know, like we were talking about Tommy Reese earlier and whether he, you know, deserved, you know, all the criticism and what he, like, he got the most out of Jalen Milrow. Like, remember yeah. what the season started with that quarterback position. Like, people were, like, there was a people reason. People wanted him and Milrow out and then making yeah. a national champion, or yeah. a playoff appearance. They, he maximized Milrow, and quite frankly, you know, like, there's still some improvement to be made at that quarterback position, what they have. And, and the quarterbacks oh, yeah. that they have had the last few years can mask some other things and couple it with what you're talking about, the transfer portal and and NIL. There's a reason that Nick Saban's been complaining about it, and there's a reason that Alabama oh, yeah. started complaining right away about, oh, we've got to invest more in NIL. We've got to help this. You know, you had two losses all season, and it's like total disaster. Now you but still made it the to thing, the playoffs. Alabama will still have really good recruiting classes, though. That's not going to change. The problem is going to be when those guys leave, when they don't, when they're not seeing the field when they think they should. That's the difference, right? In the past, they were able to reload the talent because the guys weren't leaving. So they had five-star after five-star after five-star in your depth chart. There was no path to leave. Right, yeah. exactly. And those guys had to stick it out. They had to put their time in. And by the time they were a five-star junior, they were really freaking good. Yeah. And they're just taking over for the five-star senior that just left. Right. And they, and they were able to do that over yeah, and over. Yeah, you can leave over. right away and you can play right away. Exactly. Yeah. Why? Texas A&M is a prime example. They had that amazing recruiting class, right? All those guys are gone because they didn't play. Or, well, one of the two, right? Most of those guys from that recruiting class are gone. Yep. So, yeah, it's just – it's a different scenario, guys. <sighs> all right. Well, appreciate the it? question, Pat, and all the other questions that we had as well. Great to be back. Great to, uh, great to uh, hear from everybody. Once again, again, we'll have uh, – you guys are going to be here Thursday. Is that yep. right? Okay. Yep. Vince and Jesse, Thursday. We won't have a show tomorrow. And then the three of us will be back with another three-man show on Friday. So we've got that going for us. Jesse pointing to the star. How All about right. them Cowboys, baby, on Jimmy Johnson night? <laughs> Locked up the home playoffs, baby. Oh. Got to win. Got to win Sunday. No one told the Eagles to lose to the Cardinals. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I don't, I don't need all the Cowboys stuff right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, DK. Aiden Hutchinson cheated and he wasn't flagged for it. Hit the oh, like button. Here we go. Subscribe, rate, and review, and we will talk to you later. Have a good one. Derek, hit me up on Twitter. I'll send you the video.